Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. As disaster responders, we find and endorse those products that we know will help you out in the field. If you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field a truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to l3harris.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's John Scardina, your host. Man, I'm so excited for this episode. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot explain how excited I am because I have Patrick McGinn back on here. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. He has a backdrop right now, the world uh, on his screen. So it's fun to see that and think about uh, all the experiences we've had together. As you recall from the last episode, Patrick served on the National IMAT West with me, the National Incident Management Assistance Team West when we were in FEMA. He is now with the Salvation Army. I'm with Doberman Emergency Management. We're both exploding in our careers, so it's fun to, to, to go back and forth and talk about our different perspectives now as we're growing and so, Patrick, welcome to the show. Oh, John, thanks for having me, man. It is awesome to be back. Thanks, man. Yeah, so you've been dealing with wildfires pretty intensely for several months, especially with the pandemic. Uh, so thanks for, you know, finishing that up in a sense. Hopefully we don't have any more major wildfires, but I'm sure there's been lots of lessons learned. But, you know, your mantra in life, you, you know, you're always le looking to learn new things and to grow. And uh, it, it's it's funny because, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, Patrick McGinn, you know, like your name is has some pretty heavy weight carried behind it, especially with all the, the things you've done already in your career with so many big disasters. And yet, uh, you know, for our listeners' sake and for my own, you know, personal gratification or my personal learning curve as well, uh, you know, I kind of want to talk to you today about some of those um, some of those learning moments you've had this year, especially with the pandemic and the wildfires, and then talk about kind of goal setting and, and how we can grow as emergency managers. So just to start off, um, you know, with the wildfires, what are some of those new things that you've had to address with uh, COVID and, you know, mass feeding from a nonprofit standpoint? Yeah, good, good question, John. This season has been like unlike any other season uh wildfires are still going on we just had one last week in nevada but really what we looked at as the august lightning complex that we call it from august to october uh we had problems that we never had before um we have fires all the time in california and i for instance i mean it, it was so complex there were so many different people involved so far i've gone through four after actions or oh separate gosh. after actions with different groups and different entities. Um, and even internally, I oversee two divisions as well. Um, and so there was so much during these fires. 
mixed with the pandemic that we, we had so many lesson learned, lesson learned. Uh, we had so many best practices because we really had to learn in the moment and modify and adapt in the moment. You know, you always hear in emergency management about how you need to adapt. Uh, you have to have an adaptive mind. You have to be FEMA flexible if you're with FEMA. You know, you gotta, you just got to be adaptive to whatever the situation is. Otherwise, you're going to get left in the dust. And so it's, uh, in the feeding realm, you know, in the business realm, they say, uh, you know, if you're not being sold the product, you are the product. And in the feeding realm and mass care, it, if you're not at the table, you're the meal. Um, and so you just, you really have to adapt and grow. And so, yeah, uh, huge things were, you know, coordination. Uh, what do you do when you have 0% information solution? <laughs> and it, the, the information, the data is incorrect every day day in and day out with how many people are in hotels. Um, what do you do when the hotels aren't working with you and you're going to be showing up every day? What do you do in the state places people in 160 hotels, but doesn't consolidate them. So 53% of the hotels have between one and five people in them. Um, what, you know, what do you do then? Um, even when you have, uh, you know, for the first two weeks of the fires, I was the feeding task force lead. And for the first two or three weeks. And so I'm coordinating with every partner that has the Salvation Army Incident Commander. I'm reaching out to all my partners and I'm bringing them into this task force for Northern California and then reaching out to more and to their partners because the need was just so great. Uh, so, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about those uh, lessons learned there and the, and the best practices that we had. And then kind of going on to, um, to the skills that really really the skills that you'll need as an emergency manager to be effective during a catastrophic event. Yeah. So before we get into all of that, because I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Um, I know we talked about this on your last episode, but just to catch people up and we didn't really go into your resume this time. When we're talking about Salvation Army, we're talking about feeding. Can you just very briefly before we get into some of those goal setting and some of those ARs that, that, you know, that happened this year, you know, from a volunteer standpoint, from a professional standpoint, we don't really think about volunteer organizations or, we, or not, we don't think about them, but we, we don't really understand the complexity of them. You know, Salvation Army is obviously much more than just thrift stores and those bell ringers, right? So what is, what is that, what is your mission from uh, a disaster services standpoint? Yeah, good, really good question there, John. Um, there's a distinction we need to make between government and non-governmental organizations and the functions that they are responsible for. And it's very simple. Basically, it's very simple. Government is mostly focused on infrastructure. They're mostly focused on the different departments that make up the emergency support functions that sit in their emergency operations centers. They're mostly concerned with infrastructure. They may be able to provide support for individuals, but that usually goes to the NGOs. That's why in emergency operations plans, when, it, when you get to the feeding, sheltering, and mass care section, it usually just says, you know, Red Cross and Salvation Army will take care of this. <laughs> That's right. And That's true. true. <laughs> and then additionally, when you get to the donations management section, it usually says Salvation Army or Goodwill will take care of this. Mm. And uh, that's really important to, to know that the things that have to do with the individuals that are taking care of their day-to-day -day needs, that's the non-governmental organizations. That's your nonprofits, your faith-based. 
Uh, that could even be your private sector as well. Uh, but that's a clear distinction to make. That that it's a big it's a big part of what we do is that feeding distribution, or I should say, donations management doesn't have to be distribution; could be collection or otherwise. Uh, and emotional spiritual care. So Salvation Army is also we're an international organization. We're an amazing humanitarian international organization. We're faith based and we're in 141 countries. Um, and we're in almost every zip code in the United States. We have a permanent office, which means that when the disaster happens, we're already there. We're ready to go. And when the disaster moves to recovery, we're ready to absorb people either into our social services uh, or provide uh, provide the donations that come to us to the survivors. So a unique thing about Salvation Army is that during disasters, 100% of donations go back into the community. They go back to the survivors. Yeah, so... That is a that's a really good uh, f- foundation for what we want to talk about today. Uh, I just want to call one thing out before we get into everything. For our very last thing before we get into like the main topic today, I found out I think it was today that you guys just had an auction. It was either yesterday or today, where every five dollars spent, you're able to send like a backpack to Ethiopia uh, with supplies, right? Uh, so yeah. yeah, that's huge. And so there's like so many different things the Salvation Army is doing. Um, this podcast, I, I, I have to say, was not sponsored by uh, Salvation Army, so it's just my opinion. But I think what you guys are doing great uh, over there, and um, you know, if you're looking to donate, you're looking to help people out uh, from a, an NGO standpoint or a nonprofit standpoint, look at Salvation Army because they do so much good. And you know, keeping up with my my contact here, Patrick of like all the different ways they've been feeding people into these wildfires and at other disasters, trying to help out even people, you know, uh, in other countries even. I mean, it's just so huge what you guys are doing. So uh, I'll put something in the show notes for people to click on for the Salvation Army. Again, not a sponsor, but it's just, a, a, you know, month of Thanksgiving, right? If you want to help other people out, look at the Salvation Army. Anyways, let's get into uh, the wildfires, some of those after actions, what are some AARs from this uh, season that you're like, okay, we need to implement this for the future? Um, in order to be ready, you need to get ready, right? In order to be ready when things happen, you need to get ready. I like that. Is uh, that a phrase or did you just come up? Is that a Patrick McGinn? Do- no, no, that's not, that's not a Patrick McGinn. I think I heard on a podcast last night. How did, uh, <laughs> what you listen to other podcasts? <laughs> It was a it was a real estate podcast, real estate investment. <laughs> All right, podcast. if it's another sector, that's fine. But I like um, that. I like that a lot. Or was it from this morning? I was listening to a Catholic podcast. I don't know, but it was it was <laughs> in order to in order to be that. Yeah, I think maybe the Catholic one makes more sense. Um, in order to be uh-huh. ready, you need to get ready. So that sounds like a financial thing too. If you want to buy a house, you need to save up. True. If you if if next week you want to buy a home, uh, then this week you would have already needed to go meet with a real estate, yep. meet with a lender, get a get pre-approved, get pre-qualified. So you can't just go next week and buy a house unless you have cash. I right? re- I'm really going to harp on this phrase for a while because I think you can actually use it in so many different areas. In order to be ready, you yeah. need to get ready. Yeah, I like that a lot. We're in a constant state. I was just talking to my deputy today. We're in a constant state of getting ready. I'm not okay with you know, this last fire season during a pandemic was, it was a different chaos than we've had before. And as I was the state feeding lead for two weeks, for the first two or three weeks, 
Um, and so I can, I can speak from the state side and I was the incident commander, uh, for our local responses. So I was kind of wearing a bunch of different hats at a bunch of different levels. Um, and it was a different kind of, uh, uh, a different kind of disaster where the state was doing the coordinating the feeding, uh, as well as, you know, the local organizations were coordinated on the ground. So it, it didn't go great with the state. Uh, it was our first time doing it. It didn't go well. Uh, people were fed. Uh, most people were fed. Some people weren't. Um, but over time, people got food. Uh, they just ended up putting, you know, opening 160 shelters in one area, but not consolidating the shelters. And it just spread everyone so thin. So they're learning, but it's something where in order to to, to be ready, you need to get ready. I, I'm not a person who I can just say, okay, that happened. I did my after action. I vented. I, I said my piece with it. And now I'm going to move on and hope they do too. Heck no. I just, I got off the phone with them today. I talked to someone at Cal yesterday, someone at California Department of Social Services yesterday, someone at Red Cross the day before. Um, and I'm, I'm talking to all my partners and saying, hey, how are we going to make this different next time? Because I'm not going to sit back and say, hey, we did our after action and now we're good. Mm. No, I, I never want that to happen again. What we, what we went through that kind of coordination in the moment. Uh, let's figure this out ahead of time. Look, it already happened once. We know it's going to happen again. Let's, let's get ready. And I'm not ready to let you guys, maybe at the state level or Red Cross, you know, uh, go, go, go at this alone. We're, we're also here. We can also help and we all need to be on the same page. So, you know, that's just in that mantra. That's just in that I'm going to be ready. But being ready is a, a state of fluidity. Mm-hmm. You're con- you got to be constantly improving. You can't be complacent. Um, and that's just how, how emergency managers are um, or how we should strive to be. Always improving after action plans or reviews aren't the end of it. No, no, no. That's the start. Yeah. That's the start of the correction. And that's how you get better from that on the end. After action reports are the only way to really refine instead of the beginning of that refinement process. Um, yeah, there, there is a mentality though, where you do your AAR and you're like, you talk about it and you're like, okay, maybe for next time. And people sit around and they talk around the table and then they kind of just move on to the next one. You're like, but all those lessons learned, you should be applying that now, you know? And, uh, you know, there's, there's something that's missed when, when we don't do that, when we don't think that every single disaster that we respond to or that we look at that we research should be applying to the next one, every single one. And I think that's, that is why some people become very, very good. And some people kind of just linger, you know? Um, but before, before we get to like our next disaster season, whatever it may be, whether it's, uh, you know, whether winter storms or flood or whatever's asteroid fire, yeah, yeah, yeah. Volcano or, you know, Sharknado, whatever, whatever season it is, I get my team together and I go over all the previous fires and disasters and the lessons learned and the best, mostly the lessons learned. And I'll go over them and I'll show them, look, guys, between last year and now, here are all the ones that I've corrected or made improvements upon. And here's what those improvements look like so that they know, hey, look, there are, here are all the things that everyone identified and here's all the work that I've been doing behind the scenes to correct it. And so they know going in, okay, things are going to be different this time. These little, these little things that, you know, uh, 
sometimes people think, oh, you got to do these really, you make these big decisions, they do these really big things in emergency management. But most of our job are these small decisions and they build on top of each other like dominoes almost. Um, and if you make enough good small decisions, uh, you can make really big things happen. And you can make really big things happen or you can make big things easier for a larger group of people. Yeah. Um, small and so simple this, things make great things come to pass. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just consistency, you know, consistence, persistence. Um, there's a saying that, what, what is it? It's like when, when people say you're lucky, like, oh, that guy was just lucky. Well, luck is, you know, preparation plus opportunity. And that's how people see it as luck. But really, it's not luck. That person was prepared. They were ready. And there was an opportunity to use what they had prepared. Um, I like that a lot. I was, I was talking to somebody two weeks ago about that. Um, you know, our company is really new, started this year, you know, left federal government started this year. And, um, I was, I had so many sticks in the fire for so long and all of a sudden, you know, we're starting to catch fire. And, uh, I, I, I think that is wise because when we were, we didn't just wait for the opportunity to come, we were preparing for it. So if it did come, we could immediately do it. And, um, you know, so like one advice to emergency managers, especially if you're starting out in the field, is like learn, learn, learn. And so when you have an opportunity that, that comes up, get those certs, get those, you know, everything you, you can get. And so when an opportunity for your own career arises and they're like, well, we're looking for somebody with these five certs, that's not the time to try to schedule and try to get all these certs done. You can say, well, I got those two years ago. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty competent in this. And so, yeah, that's a good yeah, call out to them too. A big, you make a really good point. A big part about uh, what we do regularly is after actions, right? That's for our department, for our agency, whatever it may be for our organization. But we also have after actions for ourselves that we do on our in our daily lives when we're trying to be better people, when we're trying to be whatever it is—a better, better father, better brother, better, better son. Um, whether you're trying to be uh, the best at your career. Um, whatever you're trying to do, you're just trying to be better. Um, we're constantly doing it in our own lives. How can I, you know, I'm not waking up on time. What can I do? That's your after action item. Okay. Uh, you mm -hmm. suck at waking up on time. Okay. I'm going to wake up earlier. I'm going to commit to that. Um, so it's that after action is just that personal development plan, you know, applied to your, uh, applied to your organization but it's just as important for us to have that for ourselves. Hey, it's okay to have aspirations. How do you want to improve yourself and go ahead and explore how to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're hitting on all cylinders. So in the, sp the, the spirit of AARs, pandemic wildfires, what are some AARs that other emergency managers can apply to, you know, specifically feeding? Cause you talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Good. Good, uh, really good question because, like I said, it was very different. And the reason that it was very different was because congregate shelters are no longer a thing, really. I mean, there's something called a, a temporary evacuation points, the TEPs, temporary evacuation points. Red Cross will uh, open them up anywhere, uh, wherever they've they've set it up already or, or determined in their plan. So they'll open their TEP, the central location for people to evacuate to. They will then survey people there before they decide where the, which hotel they're going to send them to um, or which shelter or whatever it may be. 
Um, and then from there they go to their hotel. Now they're in a, now they're in a non-congregate shelter. So congregate is like your gymnasium, your school, your fairgrounds. Non-congregate is your hotel. And it's a much different uh, situation. It's a much more desirable situation than being in a shelter. When I got there, I knock on the window because it's a motel. I knock on the window in Santa Cruz at the Ocean Inn or whatever inn it was. And the guy's like, no, no, I can't. I can't meet with you because of COVID. I can't. We, I was like, can I drop this food off in the lobby? Lobby? Because they had the lobby closed off. Nope, you can't do that. Okay, so I kind of waited there until he was able to come outside. So eventually he came outside. What do you want? Uh, hey, you have survivors in your hotel. I just want to feed them. Uh, okay, what do you need from me? That was like the best question I ever could have gotten. <laughs> what do you need from me? I love that. So he, so I'm like, hey, I just need to know what rooms they're in. He comes out with a sheet of paper, starts circling the rooms on the piece of paper. There are survivors here, 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 here. He probably has about, uh, you know, 20, 30 rooms. So we start going to him. This is a three-story motel. Mm. Um, and I have no help, but I have 120 meals in my truck <laughs> and no help to get him to all the doors. I'm going to be there all afternoon. So I ask him for some help. Can, you know, can you lend some help? So he lends me the help. Uh, the cleaning ladies, who are all Spanish speakers. I'm working on my, you know, yo hablo espanol, working on my, my Spanish, trying to talk to them about all the meals and which rooms we're going to take them to. So we kind of, you know, we're using hand signals and I'm trying my Spanish and they take a towel cart. They bring out a towel cart. They take all the towels out of it and we just start loading meals into the towel cart. And then take we on the first floor, took it all around to all the different people, knocked on the door. Most people were so grateful. Uh, I would say everyone was grateful most, or if not all, had no idea that they were going to be, had food provided to them. Jeez. They were extremely grateful. Um, that was pretty amazing. Uh, that was great to be, and that's what our volunteers get. That's the direct service that our volunteers get to have when we respond to disasters, is they get that direct, they're giving the meal directly to the person who needs it, um, which is another thing that I love about, about the Salvation Army. The difficult part about this was that it was three stories. And there was no elevator. So you have this big cart that has a bunch of food in it. And you got these three tiny little Spanish speaking ladies on the back end, pushing it up and me on the front end of the <laughs> stairs, trying to pull it up. And we're just kind of working it. And it's very difficult and kind of hilarious, but we're, we have good attitudes. Um, we go up to the second floor and we give a bunch of people meals there. And then we, we, we just don't have enough to go back to the third floor. And it was about an hour both ways. I had to go back. I had to figure out the situation. Um, and from in that moment, you're doing, you know, these continuous improvement uh, thoughts with, with thought exercises with your colleagues. Hey, there were a lot more people at this hotel than we thought there were. Uh, the state numbers were not correct. The Red Cross numbers were not correct. Nobody actually knows how many people are checking in and checking out. Um, can we bring back meals today? No, but we'll, we'll bring back meals for them tomorrow. We were changing our numbers every single day on a whiteboard. Um, so what we came up with as an act after action was this was between myself, uh, Off the Grid, which is a food truck company that was helping us respond, World Central Kitchen, which is a, a nonprofit that really shined during Hurricane Maria and Irma in Puerto Rico and around the United States, um, the Southern Baptist, uh, Seeks for Humanity in the United States, and then uh, uh, Salvation Army as well. And so 
we got together and said, hey, what can we do? Okay, they, some of them started calling the hotels to find out how many people were actually in there. This is the feeding organizations doing this because the data is incorrect. No matter who you go to, you know, what do you do when, you know, John, we've talked about before, you, you have a 60% solution. You have a 60% information solution, which means that you have only 60% of the information or you only have 40% of the information. But what do you do, John, when you have 2% of the information mm. and you're three weeks into the disaster? Best effort aside, you know, sometimes the information is off, you know? So yeah. Yeah. That, that, that sounds like a cluster, man. That sounds really complex. Um, you're talking about luxury from the, the other side, but from a response side, having to go to all those hotels... You know, hotels sometimes are next, next to each other, but when you have a large-scale disaster, they're all over the place. So you're talking about a lot of drive time. I couldn't get a map from the state. I couldn't get a map from anybody. So I went ahead and made my own map in uh, using Google Sheets. And then from Google Sheets, they have a mapping sheets add-on. And so as long as you have the addresses in there, you can, you can plot it on a map in less than five seconds. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, if you have the data set already. So you just have the addresses already. You're good to go. So I threw them on there. We saw, okay, there's a cluster of five hotels here. Uh, World Central Kitchen, can you feed those five hotels? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. There's a group of five hotels down here. They're all within a mile of each other or, uh, you know, five, uh, three blocks of each other off the grid. Can you feed here? Yes, we can feed those. Okay. And that's kind of how we did it. Once That was when we had 15 open. Once we got to like 160, the after action item that was a best practice was putting together a packet for the hotel staff. And so having that packet was one for the flyer, two, there was instructions for the day crew and the night crew so that they could know, hey, someone's going to be coming by in the morning to drop some food off. Someone's going to come by in the afternoon and someone's going to come by in the, uh, in the evening. Or maybe it's one time a day, one drop. Or maybe it's food boxes. You know, there's so many, we employed also so many different types and methods of feeding. That's another thing. But in this best case or in this best practice, it was providing that sheet that said, hey, we're going to come by every day at these times. Uh, so expect us. Um, and we are going to plan to drop it off in the lobby. So expect people to come down. And uh, we're just trying to work as closely with hotel staff as we can. But something to remember here is that hotel staff, 75% of hotel staff were laid off during COVID. So that hotel manager, he's not waiting around for a feeding crew to come by. He's not waiting, fiddling his, twiddling his thumbs at the front desk. You know, she's out there doing all the chores and all the tasks that her staff would have done, but that they all got, you know, furloughed or laid off because of COVID. Yeah. Now, also, one more thing, John, one more thing on top of that is that uh, in California, we have Project Room Key. Project Room Key is where you take as many homeless people as you can from around the state and you put them in hotels. Yeah. Um, this started with COVID. Sorry, this started with the pandemic. Um, and so now you have not only uh, Project Room Key with the homeless that are taking up the hotel rooms, you also have the fire department um, and the fire that they're bringing from all other states. They're also staying in the hotel rooms and Simultaneously, you're trying to put survivors in hotel rooms. Now, in Oroville, they had uh, in, in Oroville, California, where they had the Oroville Dam scare years ago. They that's where the big fire was. They had to send people up to Chico, 25 miles down to Yuba City, 20 miles down to Sacramento, 
30, 40 miles over to Roseville. And so counties didn't know what to, what to do because it wasn't their survivors. And there was a really weird political dynamic there because you have survivors at eight hotels in a place called Roseville that's 50 miles from Oroville. And the county isn't responding because it's Oroville's response. And so there, there comes into play like this public administration government like juggling act. And there's lots of red tape. Luckily, as a nonprofit, I'm like, cut, 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 cut. <laughs> I've got all the red tape. I can contact anyone anytime. We've made those partnerships. But yeah, there were a lot of a lot of different. It was, as you said before, it was very complex. And when you have a pandemic and wildfires, catastrophic wildfires, due to a tropical storm that came up the coast of Mexico, um, where you had, it, you know, this all started because we had 11,000 lightning strikes in one weekend. Yeah. That's why we had all these, and that's why they were so spread out. Um, but anyway, sorry, back to the after action. That was it for the for the hotel. That was one of them for the hotel that we'll do next time, and all our feeding partners will also do next time is that hotel packet. But I just hope at some point maybe there's legislation for hotels um, to, you know, to be aware, hey, this is going to happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um I just know that I'm not ready to let that happen again. So I'm going to stay in contact with all my partners. And if we have to put together joint exercises or joint training to make that happen, I'm willing to do that because it's going to make things, it's ultimately about the survivor, right? So we, we just have to swallow our pride and do it. We had issues where you had multiple organizations showing up to the same hotel. When the, when, oh, this comes back to the data, John. When the data is bad, when the data is sorry, not bad. When the data is incorrect, you have Southern Baptist, uh, World Central Kitchen, and Salvation Army all showing up to the same location because people aren't talking to each other. And now, you know, that is bad though. And three hundred from another have been wasted. Yikes! So, yeah. <laughs> it, I'm glad you're like really walking into like the weeds here because sometimes we we stay so high level that strategic level we we don't really get to think about the weeds and right now you're talking about you know disasters are local and at the local level it's it's breaking out down you could have the you know the best strategic plan you want but if people aren't able to implement it for whatever reason whether it's bad data or like a coordination which is uh, like pretty hardcore emergency management principles so get on that uh like if those things aren't happening though like it your plan means nothing your plan means nothing nothing if people cannot implement and I've said this before. I've been in meetings uh, with the great Kevin Coleman. Uh, I call him great because he's Rodney's favorite. He's going to listen to this. He is now. great. He is he great. Is I love the guy. But, uh, you know, he said that. I mean, they were coming up with um, all these. I think they were uh, doing like two tens. So not two tens. Um, what is it when they're trying to do their um, courses of action on a, um, oh, my gosh. How many people? What is it? Is it the two fifteens? Yeah, they they had like oh crap! Now I can't remember two tens, two of four, two fifteens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had like oh no no it wasn't Kevin it was uh, Cameron. Cameron was telling me that at one of the disasters he was at recently they had like seriously twenty pages of two of fours, and I was like there should be one. You should have one page. It's it's a single operation. And for those period. on the for those on podcast who don't know what two hundred fours are, 
that's one of your forms in your incident action plan. Yeah. That uh, once you're passed, you set your, your objectives in your 202. And then your 215s are your, um, your, your assignments, your, your task assignments that uh, people are actually going to do in the field. So um, you're always planning ahead one day in that. Um, and just to remember that your IAP looks forward and your, you know, your sit rep looks back. But yeah. Yeah, when you're when you get down to the tasks in the field, you're talking about your two fifteen. And and you should have like a page. It should, especially if it's an operational period, it should be like, hey, this is what you're doing, and let people figure it out. But when you have so many things at the tr- strategic level that it's like people just aren't going to do that. Um, you know, I'm all for wearing masks, and I'm all for helping stop the the spread of the pandemic. But some of the ideas that are coming out are just not enforceable. And so people aren't, aren't doing it, you know, um, I had, um, enforceable is, is an interesting term when you're referring to that, because what you're talking about is public health guidelines. You're talking about public health rules in which, uh, law enforcement is enforcing the law. There's a lot of other people breaking the law in negative ways and terrible ways. Um, I, I agree with you. People should wear masks. People should physically distance. But this uh, county sheriff of Sacramento has come out in the last couple of days and said, you know, despite this curfew, despite this state mandate to wear masks, we're not in Sacramento County. We're not enforcing that. We have other yep. things to, to, to focus on that are more important. Yeah. Like life saving, life sustaining. Like, yeah, yeah. Like exactly. Exactly. Domestic disputes and everything. Yeah. So but that also applies, you know, when I talk about enforcing them, I'm also talking about those tasks, you know, like, uh, you know, follow through right of feeding everybody when when you when you have 160 hotels man talk about the need for consolidation if you can um you know pandemic i'm sure made it a beast of burden uh but there there's just so many good points because of time you know i i think that's a kind of a, a good point to leave that at is just hey like Pandemic is unique, but we have to we have to learn from it because, quite frankly, even if they come out with a vaccine, and they are, you know, there's two companies so far that have come up with fairly good results. Uh, it's going to take a while to distribute that, and disasters will happen between now and then. So, how do you deal with survivors? How do you deal with, um, you know, protecting the first responders of volunteer organizations who are out there? You know, we don't want to get them sick either, and so, you know, lessons learned there there is an essentially a new normal. The public is now much more aware of viruses in general. You know, um, I don't think the, the general public was hyper aware before and that hyper awareness is both good and bad. But, you know, when somebody coughs in an office space in two years, everyone's like, don't give me the flu, go home, you know, versus like toughen up, stay here. You know, there's going to be things that are changing because of that. So, uh, well, before we go kind of down that down that rabbit hole, I was just thinking we were talking about skills earlier after actions and kind of skills emergency managers should have. Um, and aside from, you know, personal education and personal and professional growth, just thinking there are a couple things like you were saying, you know, coordination that should be a normal part of emergency management. But coordination is deeply rooted in personalities and in relationships and in communication. And so you have to be able to work uh, work well with other people. 
you have to learn that uh, people have other personalities that you may not get along with, that you can come together and still accomplish a goal, that you can still find common ground. Um, that's a skill. Finding common ground is a skill because it takes a deliberate effort. Um, and that kind of goes into planning. How are you expected to get, you could be on the same page as someone, but if you clash, you're not going to get anywhere. So you can understand the situation all you want. But if you're, if you're not, you know, putting your ego aside and just working with people, uh, you're not going to get very far. So relationships, huge part of emergency management, personalities, and learning to work with other people. You brought up follow through. I think that's really good. That's, that's huge. I think that's probably huge in, in any business and in any form of life. Follow through with people. Uh, follow up with people. Circle back. You know, whatever you want to call it, check back with them. Because whatever you ask, you know, never make assumptions that just, I would just say never make assumptions. But don't make assumptions that people are just going to go ahead and do whatever you've asked them to do. You know, you're, you're talking about all these things. My big... You know, I was thinking a lot about this year, and I, I have been, you know, kind of processing, kind of do my own AARs, seeing how the pandemic's been working through the co- different communities and how that's been happening, especially with the election year and everything else that's been going on. And, like, I, I would say, like, my biggest one for 2020, my biggest lesson learned, obviously, we kind of know this beforehand, but it, it just heightened it so much as messaging means everything messaging with your partners in your job messaging with uh when you're collaborating with other people uh messaging to my son you know uh we have um you know with our daughter being born um we have in-laws staying at our house for some time now making sure that covid's safe all that um but they they said your son does really really well about uh, trusting you. And I said, uh, I said to them, um, Aaron and I, my wife and I, we view our word like iron. Once we say something, we don't deviate from that with Alan. If we say, Hey, you can go play out in, in the backyard that even if it starts raining, I mean, you gotta be semi, you know, realistic, but we, we go out there and we will play a little bit. You know, everything we say, we try to uh, help build that trust with him. We try to make our word like iron, you know, make it really, really strong and meaning mm-hmm. mean something. And I think that that is uh, to your credit and to your point of like trying to reduce the tasks. The best way to be able to follow up with people is to be able to prioritize and to realistically be able to say, I'm going to be able to get to this today or I might be able to get to it or a follow up with me, with me in a week because if it's if it's absolutely not critical then I'm probably not going to get to it and just always make sure that people can to trust your word and I think the other thing with messaging is you do better than what you say you're going to do if you always meet or do better than what you say you're going to do then your network will always increase um, that just happened oh, yeah. that just happened with a project I worked on uh, three weeks ago, a guy asked me to uh, build something for him, and uh, I got some help to do that. And I, you know, as as a you know, obviously contracting that out, I I offered somebody money, and they went above and beyond, and so I paid them more. You know, and that's just how it works. I mean, it, that that's how you impress people. You know, and I will work with that person again. 
You know, well, that's called uh, that's called under promising and over delivering. Boom, um, over pro- Yeah, that's a really famous phrase. But basically, that that's that's how you should live your life, right? Well, there's sometimes when we say under promise and over deliver, some people may, and I've had people take it this way before, where oh, that means that you're saying that you can do less than you can do, um, and that's a bad way to look at it. That beats the response, yes, but sometimes it has to do with the time frame. Sometimes it really just depends on the situation. Um, you never because what we're trying to avoid there is we're trying to avoid overpromising. Um, that happened during this last disaster. We were told by a certain organization that um, certain state organization that hey, yeah, wherever you for the eight hotels that are in this city, we can give you delivery services. We're going to do that. We can provide it for for. Every hotel you guys have to take it to, we'll deliver it. Well, when it came down time to, for the, the meals have been cooked and they're ready to go out the door, turns out they had one person in one, you know, sedan who was able to, who's, this was supposed to be the, the team that was going to deliver team 140 of one. meals. Yeah. Hey, there is a me yeah. in team. There is a me. Yeah, the guy ended up being amazing. But it wasn't enough, um, and that was a case where the kind of the plan blows up because you overpromised and severely uh, underdelivered. Um, I was going to say something about the uh, about the personal development and the the checklist kind of thing is that for right now I'm just setting three things that I want to do per day, and I can't tell you how many times I let my inbox run me, mm. and I never realized I had that revelation like two three weeks ago. Oh my gosh, I've been letting my, my inbox run my entire day. You know, I could probably have a 12-step program for my inbox. Like, I need to stop <laughs> checking my email so much. You know, I need to stop looking at all my text messages all the time. It's really just pulling your your your, uh, your focus everywhere. So I've been just doing, just trying to do three things every day and trying to keep that gap as small as possible. It's actually been working really well. And I've actually been like, wow, I'm accomplishing things again. It's amazing how we can get wrapped up in life sometime and just in the day to day and not realize how much our attention is being pulled in all these directions. And there was actually, uh, I've also, I mean, so you have your, like your to-do list, which mine is now like three things right per day. Uh, there's also writing down your goals. Um, and this goes into like planning for 2021. So right now my department, uh, I'm leading the effort to plan for 2021. And what I really want to look at is what are our outcomes? Where do we want to be this time next year? And what do we want? How do we want it to look different than it is now? That's our starting point. And then we reverse engineer. We work backwards from there. What are the goals? What do our goals have to be to get us to those outcomes? And then we'll go backwards from there is what do the tasks need to be? So I kind of do the, I do the exact same thing in my personal life. Um, I write down my goals every single day because I saw a study from Dominican University in California where they did a study of a bunch of, of professionals, you know, doctors, lawyers, teachers, a bunch of different professions, mid-career. And they found that the group that wrote down their goals every day were 40% more likely to accomplish them. And they were, that, I've seen that before. That was like three to five. They're, they had like basically a card, right? Three to five goals that they wanted to get done uh, in a day. And that was it, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and and those, who, those who wrote down their goals uh, uh, it was like 39.5% or those who wrote down their goals achieved, um, 35% more than the other ones did. Um, 
So there's like power behind that. And if you take that and apply that to your department or to your emergency management team, uh, that those who focus on their goals, I'm not talking about all your staff writing down their goals every day, but I am talking about having that outcome or those goals visible somewhere in the office so that wherever they get up and they walk to, uh, uh, to get some water or it's on a flyer in their own office and they just happen to see it every day beside their computer, um, it's important to see those goals every day to know where you're headed because sometimes in our business, you can get lost in the details and you can get lost in the multitasking and you can just get intend to stay organized is to have that vision, to have that outcome, those goals around all the time as a reminder. Um, man, you're, you're making, your no, no, no. You're making me think uh, really well here because you know, our conversation kind of started off on, on one end uh, of the spectrum and we're really getting into like the meat of, uh, you know, career development and individual development. And that's really kind of what this podcast episode could be about. And um, what I would say is um, kind of those lessons learned of living in Japan a few times. The best way to uh, under promise and over deliver, right? The best way to do always do more than what you're saying you're going to do. The easiest way or the best way to do that is to be in the details. Uh, when I when I was in Japan, Japanese people by by culture, they are perfectionists. They try so hard to make the best product they can with the time that they have. Mm-hmm. Emergency managers have to make the best decisions they can in the time that they have. But the products you're producing exercises that you develop, the trainings that you go to, the participation that you do in those trainings. You know, we've all been those guys, you know, we've all seen those guys who, who just be there to ch- check the box. Nobody likes that guy. Uh, but as somebody who's instructing, it's always nice to know that there's people in the room who are taking it seriously, especially when you have exercise design or you have a full skill exercise where they have to be in the moment. They're treating it like a real, a real event. You know, there's so many different things to do with, if you're in the details, not in the weeds, but the details, you want to make sure that if you're sending out a memo, for example, that memo has the right letterhead and it looks very professional. If you're, you know, if you're trying to do something right, you, you go in the details. I wear my Doberman shirt on my podcast because I'm in the details, you, you know, but like that, that's just, that's just my advice to give people because it can feel overwhelming of, okay. How do I deliver more? How do I do more? Well, sometimes doing more means just doing it so well that you stand out. Doing it so right, you've, you've prepared. And so when the opportunity arises, going back to that train of thought, that you're, you, you're able to present something that stands out. And I will say yeah. that every single one of my staff, the reason why Cameron Starrett is still a great friend of mine when he was in FEMA Corps is because that when he was a not an intern but essentially an intern when he's a FEMA core that he did he went above and beyond by doing it right when I said hey can you learn to do GIS he wanted to learn everything about GIS when hey when people come in to see which map make sure that we already have a map he would go through every single map with them make sure that they you know got what they needed that is why you stood out that's why you stood out at FEMA that's why you're standing out now is because you know, you're talking about all the research you're still doing in personal development, in career development, 
And yet, quite frankly, if you look at your resume, it's like, oh, Patrick McGinn's been around for a little while now. He's had these big accomplishments, and yet you're still improving. And, you know, just to your credit, uh, we're running out of time here. But I just want to thank you so much for coming in and talking about follow-through, talking about some of those AARs. It shows that you've been um, you've been in the details of wildfires. As a California resident, I thank you. And um, I, I'm sure it's going to drive your volunteers to be much better because of your experience. For the listeners, for, yeah, there's all sorts of skills you can improve upon. Um, my second time on the show, I'm, I mean, I'd be happy to come back any other time and, and talk with John. It's always a Good. pleasure. Um, but one thing is, is like a mindset. So something that I think can improve our field and move it forward and progress it is if more people have the mindset of when they're asked a question, instead of saying, you know, I, I can't, saying, how can I? Um, this comes from a book called, uh, you know, or I got this from a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, basically, where they say, you know, you, you know, you, you need to buy a house. And they say, oh, I can't. So the poorest person says, I can't. And the rich person says, well, how can I? And it just goes to, like, our mindset. So you're being told, you know, I can't or you can't. You need to start asking the question of how how can I? You know, the Salvation Army can't feed, uh, you know, 50,000 people on our own. But how can we? That opens up my mind and the answer to many other organizations. And we can probably make it happen. Um, but it's all about that mindset of looking at any question, any problem that comes to your desk and not saying I can't. That's the first thing, thinking of how, how can I? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to kind of end with that, leave with that, that that's made a huge difference in my own life is switching from I can't or I can't do that. Uh, I'm not, you know, we can't do that. We've never done that before, so we can't do that. Well, no one ever asked, well, why don't, why, why can't we do that? And then how can we do that? Mm -hmm. um, so that's opened up a lot of doors for me and just opened up my mind in general. That'd be huge for people. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's an excellent point to end on. Um, if you have a goal to listen to great advice, you should listen to the Disaster Tough podcast and subscribe. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, again, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show, for talking to us. Uh, for sharing your insights about the wildfire season that's been happening this year with the pandemic, about the lessons learned, uh, and about messaging and coordination and all those pieces, and, and sharing real-world examples that shows that emergency managers, need to, we need to continually improve. And um, that's a great message for today, especially as we're you know ending up 2020, lessons learned for this year. I think this is a great last six weeks for us to really think about that. And so thanks again for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back. And um, if you liked Patrick's episode, if you liked what you heard today, make sure that you subscribe, give us that five-star rating, uh, come back, check out our Instagram channel, the Disaster Tough Podcast. We're going to be posting a little bit more about Patrick and share some clips from today. So make sure you comment there. And of course, if you want to work with us with the Doberman Emergency Management Group, you can email us at info at dobermanemg.com. Again, that's info at dobermanemg.com. 